of I'll Show Myself Out, the third episode of I'll Show Myself Out, to be exact. I am, as always, Colin, your lovable yet needs to be taken in doses host. And as always, thank you for joining me again. So I was faced with some choices for this episode. I mean, I, uh, I felt the need to give you, the audience, kind of a break uh, from some of the heavier subjects. I mean... In some form or another, I've spent my first two episodes ranting about racism, and it it gets tiring for me uh, to do, and I'm sure it's tiring for you as well. And I also don't want it to seem like it's going to be the only serious topic I get into. But I also realize that any heavy topic, be it religion or social disparities or the Britney Spears conservatorship, uh, it's draining. No matter what we say or how strongly we say it, we still have to live with the status quo of it. On a side note, uh, that was in no way a dig at the whole Britney Spears conservatorship. Uh, As of the recording of this, uh, the outlook of that seems pretty good, and I actually wrote that back when the outlook seemed pretty good, and then it kind of looked bad again, and now it kind of looks good again. Fuck. Um, I mean, it... Uh, was it was pretty fucked up in the first place, and and the fact that the court system uh, seems to have barely helped her at all, um, and the fact that her dad had to be the one to actually uh, withdraw himself from that, um, and I mean even the fact that a person can control every aspect of someone's life simply because they have a piece of paper that says it's cool should all be an indictment on our legal system, but. See, there I go again, uh, just going down that rabbit hole to the, the land of fucked up stuff we can't do much about. Um, so for the third episode, let's not do that as much. You know, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm probably still going to do it. Uh, so I thought this would be a good chance to introduce you to me a little more. Give some backstory, maybe some context. We'll see what we get into. Um, So I was born and raised in the town of Hendersonville, North Carolina. If you uh, aren't familiar with that, it's the so-called sister city of Asheville, North Carolina. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that if you didn't know of Hendersonville, you probably said, oh yeah, Asheville, I know where that is. Hendo is way better, by the way. I should just, I want to say that first. Uh, Smaller town, but... Not backwoods, podunk town, tiny. We've had a lot in Hendo. Uh, We had a mall uh, with a Kmart when Kmart was a thing. Um, We got a new Walmart back when they started making the Super Walmarts, if you remember that one. 
Um, there's been three Burger Kings for as long as I can remember, at least three. Um, I mean, you don't get three BKs without being a sizable town. Hendo represent. Um, it's an interesting town, though. There's uh, a high population of young people and families, uh, while also being one of the largest retirement communities in the U.S. Um, we get a lot of the half-backers, okay? That's uh, retirees that moved from up north down to Florida, um, but it was too hot down there, so they came halfway back uh, and landed in Hendersonville so they can, so they can retire in peace and, and bitch about all the young people until they die. Now, speaking of old people, I do have to say our usual sponsor is no longer with us. Um, it seems the fine people of Cecil Senile Senior Home uh, had some issues with the last episode. But who knows, either way, the check bounced. So I will no longer be advertising their surprisingly low rates and adequate service with limited oversight. Now, I have, however, found a new sponsor because I'm a boss like that. Uh, so here we go. Do you have a load that needs to be delivered now? Are you feeling the pressure to get your load delivered on short notice? When you need to get your load to its destination as fast as humanly possible, with the fewest questions asked, you need to call Rushed Fucking. Rushed Fucking has decades of experience in transporting all sorts of loads from... Uh, oh, wait a minute. Um, sorry, folks. It, it looks like uh, I've got a printer... Um, error on the page here. Slight correction. Uh, the business name is Rushed Trucking. Rushed Trucking. It's it's a trucking company. Hmm. Not what I was expecting. I'll show myself out was brought to you by Rushed Trucking. Call today. So where was I? Ah, yes, old people, uh, the uh, the ancient ones, the blue hairs. Yes, Hendersonville has an endless supply of the elderly uh, and an endless supply of teenagers to keep their blood pressure up. Uh, they almost live off of each other in ways. The teenagers enjoy angering the old people, and, uh, and, and it keeps the old people on their toes, uh, keeps them spry. Uh, but there uh, really is an endless supply. Uh, there's a revolving door system of kids growing up uh, into teenagers, then leaving town and, and coming back as parents to create more future teenagers. And uh, then and the old people will, you know, they just keep coming, but, you know, they have uh, the, the, the oldness to keep their numbers in check. Um, so all that equates to a town with stuff to do after five if you're over 21, but don't expect much to stay open after nine. And uh, a lot of bored teenagers hanging out in uh, various empty parking lots. Growing up there, we just had to keep ourselves busy by finding new places to smoke weed at. I still know all of the best places, um, but uh, but the general but that's the general idea of my hometown. Uh, I grew up middle class, um, really about as middle class as, as you can get for the '90s and the 2000s. Uh, I didn't grow up getting like everything I wanted, but I certainly, you know, never felt like we were like we had to go without uh, in any way. Both of my parents were teachers in the public school system, and they got in at a time where you could still get some of those great boomer benefits, like a pension and what's that? Uh, tenure, that's what it is. And there was also the oh yeah, the um, I gotta say it out here, employer sponsored health insurance plan. Yeah, that, you know, the thing, the, the shit that doesn't exist anymore. 
and they also managed to retire at the right time, uh, just before the shit hit the fan and they started treating teachers like fast food employees. So I can definitely say that I didn't come from a, a fucked up childhood. Uh, I didn't come from a broken home. Um, but I, I didn't grow up rich or privileged. Uh, well, I mean, I am white, so I mean, just the inherent amount of privilege that one doesn't really notice they have until much later on in life. Um, uh, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging or anything, okay? But my childhood was actually pretty great. I mean, I definitely grew up middle of the road, uh, the kind of... Uh, experience that makes you grateful for what you have, but still from a perspective where you can be angry at rich people uh, when they're being douchebags. And really, I'm I'm not bragging about it. I just I think it's an important part of of who I am. So after high school, I went to college because it was still just one of those things you did back then in '07. Uh, I originally went to school for uh, the film program at Western Carolina University. Uh, after a couple of years of that, I realized I definitely wasn't going to have any kind of a job waiting for me after graduation. Uh, you see, there was this crazy notion uh, still hanging around back then that once you graduated college uh, with a degree in something, you would just then get a job in your field from one of the many companies or businesses that were just dying to hire you. So following that notion, I switched over to geology. Spoiler alert, not sure if you picked up on it by now, but I do neither of those things. So I'll just let you infer as to how that worked out. Luckily enough for me, somehow my public school teacher parents were able to pay for my tuition uh, I have no idea to this day how they accomplished that, but I am so grateful for that every day. And it's a little fucked up, but not having student loans actually gave me a bigger leg up in my adulthood than my actual degree. So I got through college in the usual amount of time of five years. That's normal, right? I fell into that trap where you kind of fuck around a little too much freshman year, and, and from then on, no matter how good your grades are after that, your GPA just never recovers. Now, I was never a great student, but I know I did better than the GPA that I will not disclose would reflect. My GPA is such that if I'm applying for a job and they ask if I have a degree, I confidently mark yes and provide a description. But if the next question is about my GPA, I just find another job to apply for. But at least I can bore people to tears talking about rocks. Uh, that has been a super useful life skill to have. I tell you what. So around my junior year, I met the wonderful lady that I would end up marrying and would eventually carry my spawn. I say eventually like we spent a long time married before having a child. You see, we got married the summer I graduated, and a couple weeks after the honeymoon, my wife tested positive for a parasite that would go on to give us gray hairs in our early 30s. If you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm insinuating that we had a honeymoon, baby. That's right, no need to buy souvenirs when we go to Myrtle Beach, because we've got a souvenir that eats all of our food and sits in the back seat of the car and has zero ability to stop talking for a meaningful length of time. But we have a wonderful daughter that I would do anything for. Um, which brings me 
uh, to the post-college years and, and navigating through that thing called adulting. And may I say, they fucking lied to us. Uh, ad- adulting sucks ass. So after college, I had a special piece of paper that was getting me nowhere. And uh, the clock was now ticking on that expensive peanut being ready for the world. Um, So I had no choice but to get the fuck to work. And that I did. Um, I used the skills that I knew I could show on paper years of fast food work. So I slowly worked my way up. Not in the classical sense, though. You know, where you work somewhere for a while and you work hard and get promoted. Ha! That's a load of shit in the culinary industry. Uh, I basically took any kitchen job I could get. Uh, I worked two jobs when I was able to. Um, I just I just put my head down and kept working, and and it worked okay. Um, we were usually just keeping our heads above water. Uh, I learned a lot about utilizing food stamps, uh, Medicaid, and really any other form of public assistance that was available. Now, that helped out tremendously, uh, not only at keeping us from starving or being evicted, uh, but also at just making us even more liberal than ever. Yeah, I no longer accept uh, people making the same tired arguments against public assistance, uh, especially when it includes the typical stereotypes that people on public assistance don't work. Fuck you, motherfucker. I work my ass off and still couldn't make ends meet. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let my family starve or become homeless because I was just too proud or too Republican to just go get some fucking help. But we're getting into one of those heavy subjects again. So getting back on track here. So uh, we were poor. Life sucked. um, But we were surviving. And then I found an actually decent job at the casino over uh, there in Cherokee. Um, so first job ever with actual benefits, a health plan, and and pay that actually got us off food stamps. Now, I will say the casino is a great place to work uh, for the first year to year and a half. Uh, then the glitter fades, uh, and you realize the paltry pay increases mixed with a broken ladder uh, to try and move up, and zero holidays off is just a carefully constructed system to get the most work out of you in the shortest amount of time before you finally see that someone above you is going to have to die before you see anything close to a promotion or even an actually decent position there. It was never sustainable. It just looked like that. Uh, So I decided to give up on my culinary career path and move on to, well, fucking anything, really. Uh, I left the casino to try and open a vape store, uh, but it was 2015 in my defense, and that was still a viable business idea back then. Um, And I also went and got my life insurance license at the same time, as a just-in-case, really. Just-in-case that vape store idea fell through. So I opened the vape store, and things really took off. Um, Just kidding. Uh, It failed before the doors even opened. Long, stupid story that in 2020 hindsight may have been better for me in the long run, but that's a long, stupid story for another stupid day. So I got my start in life insurance sales, uh, which is about as lucrative as it sounds, uh, which is not very. So the objective of this job was, uh, it went something like this. The company that I was... Uh, with mailed out these little cards in the mail that were approved by a lawyer, probably, to ensure that all the wording was as close to that line between legal and deceptive as it could possibly be, while still being legal. 
Um, all they really have to do is word the concept of insurance in a different way and offer a free Walmart gift card, and old people would fill them out and send them in faster than you can say, where's my AARP magazine? And from there, me, the agent, or me and another agent, would go to their house, which, as I've mentioned before, was interesting at times, uh, to say the least. No, sometimes uh, it was a standard kind of situation, uh, you know, old guy and his wife just living alone out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, which it comes with its own. It's got its, they got their own little character to them. Those, those are those ones that are just kind of fun once you leave. Sometimes they give you free shit. It's pretty great. Uh, I mean, I had a couple of people that I could go buy moonshine from. Um, there was one guy who gave me a jar of weed. I mean, it just, the shit, people, they'll just give you shit, uh, for, and I didn't, some of them, I didn't even sell them anything. They just wanted to send me home with, with, with that thing. Uh, I did collect a couple of weird ass items that I did not pay attention. I was not the one paying attention to it in the house. They just said, oh, wow, this thing, you really got to take this thing with you. This doll that looks like it's staring deep into your soul because it's possessed. That thing, oh, your daughter will love it. Oh my God, you have to take this home. No, it's not a problem. I have no problem not having this doll out of my wide collection. This is an important doll, but I do not mind not having this doll. Here, you need to take it home. Here, put it in the back seat so that it can watch you drive. You know... Sometimes a little bit odd, but um, sometimes it was absolutely heartbreaking, um, the situation that some of these people were in. Um, sometimes I saw people in their absolute darkest moments. Uh, there, there were houses that I went into where I saw stuff that still haunts me to this day. Shit that changes the way you see the world and life and things like that. Some of it is stuff that I've only ever told a couple of people about, and I'm still not comfortable talking about it. But um, there I go again. Start. I'm, I'm starting to get down a real dark road again. So I'll just leave that there for now. But as you can probably imagine, sometimes... It was just plain weird. The kind of weird that makes you wonder if you were just, if, like, if you just saw that. Were you really just in that house? Did that really happen? People seem to get the gist of that when I tell them. Um, and I've seen, when I tell people that I've seen some weird shit, um, I mean, hell, in the first episode, I told you about the old German Nazi dude, so you've had a small taste. But I do have a tough time really convincing people just what level of weird shit I'm talking about. Like, I know that you smell a hint of the weird that I'm talking about, but I'm talking a truly perplexing level of weirdness here. And, and I think I have just the story to give you a better idea of what I'm really talking about here. I should have enough time for this, um, but it is just such a story that I think you'll understand why I'll take my chances on that. Uh, plus, it's my fucking show, and I'll do what I want. So, on this particular day, I had a new agent in my car with me, just showing them the ropes and all. We had no appointments left for the day, and it was still early afternoon, so in these situations, the best thing we could do with our time was door knocking. Now, those in sales probably know what I'm talking about, but for those who don't, 
Door knocking, in this case, was where you take that little mailer card I was talking about that someone filled out, and if they didn't answer the phone or if they tried to say they didn't fill anything out, you got to go to their home and confront them about it. And I mean, it is, I guess it's kind of a disclaimer to this whole thing, but like, I can't really bitch too much about the shit that I saw out there because I technically brought it on myself. I'm knocking on their fucking door in the middle of their life, like just interjecting myself in there. It's kind of my fault if I see some parts of it that uh, I maybe didn't want to see. Uh, you know, that is, that is kind of on me, but that was the business model. What else was I supposed to do? It was about as stressful and nerve-wracking as you would expect it to be. And now at this point, people usually ask if any, and if anyone ever shot at me uh, or anything. Uh, and I've got a couple of things to say to that. Number one, uh, no, I've never gotten shot at or even threatened with a gun. Though I do know some agents that were at least uh, vaguely threatened with one. Uh, the only times that I ever saw guns was under totally friendly circumstances, usually at that, ooh, let me show this random salesperson my cool shit part of the sales process. And when you were doing in-home sales, that is a real step in the process. That, totally real. Uh, second, uh, when it comes to the South, it's mostly a myth that people will shoot you uh, if you pull into their driveway or something. According to people who have had such experiences, it's up north where you actually have to worry about that. They will shoot your ass. In reality, in the south, they really either pretend that they aren't home, or they tell you to go the fuck away, or they get super nice and ask you how your day is going, and then they bring you in for tea and snacks while they tell you their entire life story, all with zero intention of ever buying a fucking thing. I could write a goddamn book full of life stories if I had written any of those down, but oh my fuck, they're so crushingly boring. Every fucking one. Oh yeah, I would say the words, oh cool, that's interesting, but that's only because it was the only thing I was allowed to lie about. Because guess what? It wasn't interesting. It never was. But I digress. This was not one of those situations. Uh, no, the person that I interacted with in this story never told me a thing about themselves. And as you'll soon find out, the moment that we shared really didn't call for it. Uh, so me and this agent were driving around, finding people to surprise pester at their front doors uh, in the middle of the day. So we had the house on the GPS. We're getting close to it. And now I usually would drive past the location initially just to scope it out, because sometimes that driveway would lead to places where it seemed impossible that anyone could possibly live there. And even if someone did, you probably don't want to uh, uh, meet them or see what it looks like in there. But on this one, we drove past it, and I saw a couple of cars in the driveway. Uh, looked like just your regular, probably not a weirdo living here looking kind of place. So I go up the road a little bit, and I find a place to turn around. Now, the sequence of events here is important to the story. But on my way back towards the driveway, I see a car pull out of that driveway. So I can be fairly safe to assume that there may be no one home. Uh, so I planned on simply leaving a note on the door. Uh, you would be surprised how often it actually works. So we pull into the driveway behind the other car that was parked there. And I tell the other agent in the passenger seat, say, I say, stay here, and I'll leave this on their door real quick. Uh, 
So as I'm walking to the door, I notice that they have the front door open uh, with the storm door closed. So either someone is home or these people don't care about home security. Now, as I'm getting up to the door, I can see a little bit inside the home, but not entirely because of, you know, some glare on the glass door. But I could definitely make out the shape of somebody walking in there. I saw movement. So as I get a little closer, I can definitely tell that A, someone is home, and B, they are walking towards the door. So instead of knocking, I just figured, it's a glass door, he can see me, right? But as his silhouette became clearer, the closer he got to the door, I started noticing some other things. I first noticed uh, that he seemed to have an odd gait. Um, he was walking strangely. And then I realized that he had something in one of his hands. It seemed to be a bucket. And it must have been a heavy bucket because he was kind of doing that side-to-side -side waddle one has to do when carrying something heavy. Now, by this point, he was close enough to the door that I was beginning to see more detail. I could tell he was an older gentleman, and I could see that he was wearing a bathrobe. It was open, but I could see his white shirt underneath, so that was okay. Um, now, at this point in the story, you might be tempted to jump ahead and assume what I was about to see, and I can confidently say that you are off in, in what you think it might be. As my peripheral vision um, was beginning to collect more information, uh, something began telling my brain, something isn't right here. It just, the signal started going off. It was then that I could kind of tell that he wasn't wearing pants. You know, old, old man legs have that uh, pasty sheen to them that is uh, just easily recognizable to the human brain. Now, I've had old people answer the door in their underwear. Uh, there is an initial shock to it, and I can get past it. But I was, I was fairly used to it at this point in, in my home sales career. Uh, if you can't handle an old dude in his underwear, you might not be cut out for that business model. But at, at, at this point, the alarms in my head were really starting to go off, um, as, as if my brain has, has noticed something that it hasn't fully processed yet. Uh, within a split second of thinking, oh great, he's in his tidy whities I noticed what was off. And now, you might still be thinking, you know what body part I'm about to witness here, but you're still probably wrong. So it was then that I noticed movement from something that was not his leg underneath the bathrobe. He was now close enough that I could clearly see what I, nor you, nor anyone is really prepared to see. So this guy had his, how should I say it, uh, his, his, uh, his ball bag, his coin purse, his chicken skin duffel bag, if you will, hanging out of the hole in the front of his underwear. Now, it's kind of impossible to not full-on look at a swing and yank sack when it's kind of just coming right at you uh, like that. So I can say that I most definitely saw what I thought I saw. 
if you don't think I actually saw that. Now, for the odd layer to this, I did not see that old man's penis on that day. Thankfully. But oddly, I did not see his penis. On the contrary, this man actually had just his scrankly satchel hanging out of his underwear pulled through that pee hole thing in the front of men's underwear. Just the berry basket, not the twig. Now, just to give you some frame of reference and some real-world data, um, if you've ever seen uh, any of the Jackass movies, you're probably familiar with the old man balls sketch uh, they would do where they would dress up like old people and put on a ridiculously low-hanging prosthetic nutsack and they wear short shorts and walk around with it swinging all over the place. Well, now I believe the people who, uh, who make Jackass deserve an Oscar for costuming because I really can't stress enough how accurate of a representation they had on the prosthetic nuts. They may have been aiming for a jokingly long nutsack, but they actually had full realism on that shit. And, and, and I mean, the swing to them. Oh, geez. Um, I'll never quite forget that part. Because, you see, he was carrying the big heavy bucket uh, with one hand. So he had that side-to-side waddle going on there so there was just a lot of lot of motion going on like a physics teacher could teach a, a whole lesson on centripetal force uh, on, a, on a mass moving around a fixed central point and the motion that arises from that inertia and, and such it was like in in full motion like if you put two imagine if you took two limes and you put them in one of those produce bags at the grocery store and then hold it from the top of the bag Okay, and then now hold it near your waist and then do like like a sumo wrestler kind of walk one foot, other foot uh, kind of thing. Uh, that's the sort of long sway I'm talking about here. Full leg to leg swing. Um, keep in mind, at this point, only a few seconds had passed since I first even saw that anyone was home. So it was a really jarring change of gears. Uh, my autopilot brain was still trying to switch between I need to set an appointment with this guy who totally knows I'm here and oh dear God, that's most definitely his entire scrotum hanging from the front of his underwear. While also trying to prepare me to say words to him. But I was also beginning to think, he fucking sees me, right? He's five feet from the door. How does he not see me to this day? I will never know or understand the how or the why in this situation. But I do know that he was just becoming aware of my presence, as evidenced by the moment when I averted my eyes from the leathery wrecking ball, and we both locked eyes at the same time and shared a a brief deer-in-the-headlights moment. It was then, and only then, that he immediately dropped the bucket and turned around frantically and began shoving his junk back in from whence it came. Um, and, and if you don't know, it's a pretty recognizable set of movements, an old man stuffing the old hangers back into his pants with a hurried quickness that says maybe no one saw that. And I took that brief moment to prepare myself for what I would say uh, was an Oscar-worthy performance, playing a character that totally didn't see anything. You know, 
in sales, we have scripts, uh, predetermined things that you say to every customer every time. Uh, we have them because repetition can help make you more comfortable in speaking to the customer. Now, I know that scripts weren't necessarily made for this particular scenario, but fuck was I glad I had one to fall back on. So I put on my best insurance salesman, I didn't see your balls smile, and went into my usual spiel. I improvised a little bit. Um, usually the goal in these things was to get a sit-down appointment with them right then. Be, uh, but uh, it was clear that neither he nor I wanted to do anything like that. Probably ever, if we're being honest. It was like a poker game kind of moment, uh, where we just wanted to fold and leave and never play poker again or even talk about it ever again. Um, there was no advice from that Kenny Rogers song about this kind of thing. But luckily, he said his wife filled it out, which gave me the perfect out to say, yeah, I'll call you later on. Because uh, I don't think either of us wanted to sit down at his kitchen table with him and an agent that I'm training that's still waiting in my car and has seen none of what just happened, while I try not to address the scraggly-haired, loose-skinned elephant in the room. How fucking weird would that have been? Like, sitting at his kitchen table, me and him, trying to pretend nothing happened, while a fresh new agent with a big salesy smile on their face tries to figure out why the appointment isn't going so well. Like, or I could even, I could even just see myself sitting at his table trying to get through that. Like, oh, what's your date of birth? Mm-hmm. And what kind of medications you take? Mm-hmm. 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 Why were you balls out of your underwear? Hmm? So, I took my out. And I headed back to the car. And he picked up his bucket of rocks and continued on outside. Like, I didn't even reach in my shirt pocket to give him a business card, something that was usually an involuntary reflex at this point. I got back in the car and immediately shifted into reverse to get the fuck out. Uh, the oblivious agent in the passenger seat is asking me all kinds of excited questions as though they still had all of their childhood innocence intact. Oh, what happened? Were they home? Are we coming back later? I was still processing everything, so I just replied with, yeah, they were home, but I didn't get an appointment, and I think we're just going to call it a day, uh, but I'm going to need to drive a few miles before I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, let's just get out of here. I, I was left with so many questions after that. Uh, questions that both burn inside my mind, but also maybe I don't want to know the answers in some ways. The thing that I can't get my head around, uh, no pun intended, is really the chain of events based on the evidence. Because if there is one thing I'm sure of in that whole situation, it's that with the speed at which he was moving towards the door, as evident in the wide range of motion of that leathery pendulum, Based on that, I am very certain that he had every intention of walking out that door out into the world with his yam bag flapping in the breeze. I mean, he was moving towards the door with the speed and intent that suggested there wasn't a second thought in his head until our eyes met. And at that point, he was so close to the door that I'm surprised his crinkly demons didn't smack the glass when he whipped around to stuff his buddies back in. 
That being said, I can't help but speculate on the chain of events that led to it. I really don't see any other logical scenario than first his wife said, Hey honey, I'm going into town for God knows what reason. Oh, and do you mind taking that large bucket of gravel outside like I told you to last week? And then, after he saw that his wife had left the driveway, you know, because of the glass on the fucking door in front of the house, he made sure that he was totally alone, and in that moment of home alone silence, he said to himself, well, guess I better take this bucket of rocks outside for the missus, but uh, first, I'm just going to let these bad boys breathe, but not you, penis. You stay in there, you musty broadwurst. Only the balls, only the balls get to taste the cool mountain air. Only the balls may see the light of day. And, you know, it wasn't like he lived in a secluded location that would give him a pass. Motherfucker lives right next to a four-lane highway, pretty much the main road through that town. Like, I'm understanding of, of wanting to walk around with the freedom of a Sasquatch, just just letting the dangly-janglies do their thing. I get it. And if, and if that guy had lived in a secluded location deep in the hills and I rolled up in his driveway to him doing some gardening with his apple sack flying free, that's on me. I should have used more caution in my approach. Hell, he could have been standing on his front porch just hands-free windmilling the boys around, and I would have left him be and thought to myself, well, that was horrifying, but wish I, I wish I lived in a secluded enough location to do that. What a lucky guy. But no, that house is right off the main road. So close to the main road, in fact, that while I have forgotten his name and his address, I still know exactly where that house is. And to this day, so many questions still remain on that. What were his intentions with the bucket of rocks? Like, like, if I had not shown up, what, was he just going to pour out some gravel with the Ghiblis hanging out? I, I, I kind of figured that, um, you know, pouring gravel, like handling loose rocks with the sandbag out, probably, you know... That's kind of akin to frying bacon with the shirt off. Why? It it like but it but then in, in the same sense, if you were gonna go do some gardening, let's say you like walking around your house naked and you're gonna go do some gardening, you would definitely put on some protective clothing, of course. Uh, but you would do that before you got outside, before you had every intention of opening the door and walking outside. I don't think I'm wrong on that. Now. Sometimes uh, people bring up to that, they, they say, well, what if that wasn't his wife leaving the driveway? Okay, I, I've kind of thought through that, and there's really just a short list of people that it could be that doesn't just raise more questions. I mean, yeah, if it's his mistress, you know, I guess, I guess that's that. But I mean, he still just had the man marbles out, like. Still the same que same questions persist. Okay, what if it was a relative? I mean, that would be fucking weird. One of your relatives leaves the house and you just pull them out. That still weird. More questions. What if it was what if that was actually just a random stranger? What if he didn't know that person that was pulling out of his driveway? Well then that means that I wasn't the first person that he showed his nuts to that day. There's just I and I I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole there because I've, I've I've been there enough. So when I say I had some weird experiences, 
you can truly know what the fuck I mean. I've seen some shit, man. I'm sure that I'll get into some other stories sometime down the road um, about my time in that line of work. Uh, Stories for another day. I'd venture to say that this story may have tainted this day a bit for you. Uh, Pun definitely intended. So I'll just leave it at that for now. But that job really was a very important building block in my insurance career. I learned a lot of lessons in selling and in life and survival even, because uh, the shitty part was that in the two and a half or so years that I worked that job nonstop, working myself into an an anxiety-racked selling machine, I starved through most of it. Metaphorically and quite literally at times, I, I starved at that job. In the month of July of 2017, uh, almost a year into my career in insurance, I brought home a grand total of $273 for the entire month, all while having to pay for my own gas and silently praying that my car would make it another month without breaking down. Um, We were receiving food stamps for a bulk of that period of time. Uh, One time our caseworker asked us in a bewildered tone, how in the world were you able to survive this? Uh, after she looked at my pay stubs. Uh, From time to time, we uh, had tried to find a working situation for my wife, but with a child to take care of and no money for childcare, no family close enough, you know, geographically to be able to regularly look after our daughter, and a working situation that translated into more time out in the field each day, the more chances of making money. So the only option that made any sense was for her to be a stay-at-home parent, which is a job in and of itself. It, I would even say it's a tougher job than, than what I had. Um, but those were, those were some of the darkest times of our lives. Uh, we were on the verge of, of homelessness on a near-monthly basis. I learned how to survive on practically nothing. Um, had to ask family members for money. I've had to, quote, mooch off friends from time to time. Um... I believe I, I still owe money to some friends that might be listening to this now, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. Uh, but I am eternally grateful that they were there for us. Um, we wouldn't be here without them. So, talking to you. If, uh, if there's any lesson that you take from this episode, anything at all that you get from this, other than to be wary of knocking on the wrong door, um, it's that when, when someone offers you a commission-only job, even if it sounds promising, I'm not saying don't take it or don't trust it, but just be realistic um, with whatever number they tell you. Oh, you'll be making X amount of dollars in no time. Just knock a good bit off of that number because all they're really doing is is trying to sell you on, on that job. And more than likely, they are selling you a very big lie. When you work for just commission-only pay, you really cost the company hardly anything. Um, You cost them barely anything when you sell something. And when you make money, they make a lot more. And when you fail, they lose nothing and gain everything from all of your hard work. I watched some agents flounder and uh, burn through their life savings. And I I really mean, uh, I really mean that, their life savings, uh, in pursuit of, of that dream that they were sold from the very start. Some of them might be looking to retire, might have been maybe looking to retire now or might have been looking to retire then. But 
you you can't retire when you've just been reduced back to a financial square one in your late 50s. I'm not saying not to bet on yourself. If you believe you can do it, and if it's a legit job, then you you can make a living. Uh, but just know that you're betting on yourself against the house, and I think we all know the rest of that line. Just be cautious of that guy throwing out numbers that you've only dreamt about while he twirls that oversized ring he got on the backs of many before you. But I did cut my teeth in that line of work. I came out bruised and bloody on the other side uh, with less to show for it than I would have liked. But I finally stood up for myself and found a better job and finally started making some gains. Um, I made some important moves to get myself somewhere better, and I made a seamless transition to a new job, and that was in the spring of 2019. And I was at that job for about a little over a year and a half. And uh, I think we all know what followed 2019. Um, And I think that's just uh, best left for another day. Um, It's going to require a lot more unpacking than than we have time for in this episode. But I do hope you you enjoyed this trip into the the saga of me. I do want to address uh, a couple of things. Um, one is that, uh, you know, I, yeah, I still don't have uh, a, a day of the week that each episode's going to come out. Probably, if I'm, if I'm being honest, probably going to be a once every two weeks show. I'd like it to be a once a week, but um, just not happening. Um, and, and I want the show to be of good quality. I don't want it to be rushed uh, or anything. And so that's why for episode four... Um, I am going to take a little bit of extra time uh, on episode four. Maybe a um, maybe a plan on that in about a month, I would say, but uh, possibly earlier. Um, I just want to take some extra time, add some more things into the show, um, a little bit more variety, I would say, um, kind of uh, figure out a, a better way of moving forward even. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it up until now, and it will continue to be good. I uh, didn't mean to sow any doubts there. Um, but on to the last bit. Um, I've been on a bit of a roll lately, uh, two episodes down, and here in a few minutes it'll be three. Uh, but in the first two episodes, uh, I got on a bit of a roll with ending on a slightly depressing note. Um, you're welcome, by the way. Can't have this show taking you all too far out of reality. Um, and uh, as I've said in descriptions of this show, this is kind of a trip inside the inner workings of my mind, and nothing is better at keeping me grounded in some cold, harsh reality than a good old depressing thought while I'm trying to be hopeful and positive. I do consider myself a positive person. Um, I've preached a lot about the power of a positive mindset, but I can't help it when my brain throws me a real downer thought in the middle of everything, and I do find it to be a good source of comedy, um, the contrast of, of good and bad. Uh, sometimes the downer thoughts that weasel their way in can provide a funny perspective on things. Um, you know, they say that comedy is tragedy plus time, and there's a lot to that saying, but I've always found comedy's reliance on tragedy uh, to be fascinating because it can be such a powerful tool. But lately, the tragedy part of things has been a bit unavoidable, and um, God, hardly enough time has passed uh, to make comedy out of all of it. But too much tragedy and negativity is never a good thing. Um, So I do want to leave you with some thoughts that I've had about the dismal state of the world and humanity, 
that might give you some some peace in these times. Maybe an overall positive outlook on the future, since it can be kind of hard right now to see greener pastures on the horizon. And it can be difficult to even get out of bed sometimes when the future looks so bleak. But I want to help put your mind at ease for a change, if possible, with a few thoughts on that future. And, you know, it's really easy to see what we're going through now as some kind of end time scenario. It's, it's really easy to wonder where we go from here. How do we ever come back from all this? Now, that part, I don't know. But I do know that this is far from the first time that the future looked bleak for us humans. We've made it through so much, like plagues, war, natural disasters, unavoidable cataclysmic events that made the future look daunting to those having to live through said events. People of almost every generation that have walked the earth have thought shit was coming to an end soon. Uh, there's, there's hardly a single century that has gone by where if you told someone that we would all still be here, still be making progress, they probably wouldn't believe you. Oh, oh yeah, fat chance there. Uh, the nukes will be fired soon. We'll, we'll all be hiding under our desks. Um, or there's no way that America can survive the Civil War. There's, there's no way it's still together. Uh, in the future? Um, or, you know, how could humanity possibly thrive when we have no way of stopping the Black Death uh, from ripping through every country's populations? Um, you know, so you, you get the gist. You know, the end times have always seemed to be just on the horizon. Um, you know, humans have been trying to predict it for thousands of years, but have we ever gotten there? I mean, even when times were dire and we thought we were on the brink of calamity, we still got here anyway, didn't we? Um, are we still not making Fast and Furious movies well after we all assumed the franchise was rightfully dead? You know, I mentioned uh, in the first episode how, you know, 2020 is not a, uh, it's not a year, it is a, it's a decade, uh, and we're gonna have to stay buckled up for it. Um, but, you know, think back to, I, I, I do have a theory um, about this thing, and and I'll let you in on a little bit of that. See, part of it is is that look back to the 1920s. The 1920s were known as the Roaring Twenties. Most of the 20s was fucking awesome. Okay, and then what happened in 1929? The stock market crash. Everything came just rolling downhill. Now, everybody thinks that that was just a... It, it, it was always just kind of assumed um, in my head that that was just a thing that happened in America. That's what, I, that's what we were always taught in school. We were never taught about the worldwide effects of the Great Depression. Everyone in the world went through that. That was, that was not just a localized thing. Every country in the world almost had a significant economic depression. And so that gives into my theory that the 2020s are going to be kind of flipped a little bit. They're starting off like shit. We are really, and, and, and really 2020, um, I feel like, was really just the, the prequel. 2020 was the prequel. We're in 2021. We are in the first movie of the franchise here. We've got many sequels to go here. Um, but it will get better in the end. We are... 2029, something is going to be going our way. It's not going to fix everything, but it's going to be going our way. And in the future, our kids and our grandkids, 
they're going to figure it out. We really, we just don't have much to worry about. Humans adapt and survive. Uh, it's one of our, it's one of our greatest uh, strengths on this planet. It's how we've gotten here. And the people of the future, our, our kids and our grandkids, they're going to figure out some way to do it. And it's going to absolutely blow our minds. Uh, we're probably going to be angry at them for it, but they're going to figure out a new way forward and it's going to work. And that's just how it's, it's just kind of the natural order of things. Now, I do feel the need to bring you down just a peg here. I'm not talking within our lifetimes. It Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to suck. It's really going to suck getting there. Um, we're not going to really see many of the rewards of, of all that in the future. But I'm just telling you uh, that we're all going to be here. It's going to be fine. But yeah, no, in, in the immediate future, the near future, kind of the far future in, in terms of our lifetimes, it's, it's still going to suck. Don't worry about that. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my positive thought for you. I want you to take that with you. You're, you're welcome for that. All right. Well, I believe it's time to close the show out and to, to close out, I, I, I thought in, instead of uh, leaving you with a depressing thought, cause I just gave you a positive thought, uh, to go with, I'm going to leave you with something funny here at the end. Um, so in, in my writing of the, the tale of the low hanging man, um, I decided to look up a lot more uh, joke words for uh, for testicles, and I found many, many. The internet has many options, um, and I used quite a few of them. So um, there are a lot that I wrote down. That um, yes, I do have a book with a bunch of uh, testicle words written in it. Um, but uh, I found other terms and things like that uh, that I just thought were funny and, and had to, you know, give them an honorable mention. Um, and I felt like I would share those with you. Now, some of these are definitely terms for um, like a, an action or uh, some of them are I, probably a penis term. Um, but I'm, I'm going to let you look some of those up if you want to uh, for a good laugh. I will not be defining them on here. So, uh, thank you very much for listening, by the way. And, um, here we go. Nargberries. Meat clackers. Snapper slappers. That was really one of my favorites. Snapper slappers. Wrinkle purse. The sugar lumps. Christ apples. Yes, I found that one. Prairie oysters. Chaney's. Knee knockers, spangle blisters, meat kiwis, swamp sack. That's a real thing. Carolina mud flap, Betty Bojangles, sanding the walnut, turkey skin handbag, flug, Dutch blindfold, buffalo berries, the Jonas Brothers. I thought that was an interesting one. Bilbo's ball baggin. And I would implore that you look that one up uh, if you want a good laugh. Trouser barnacles, juggernauts, bearded bagpipes, Washington mutuals, stank hangers, leg tits, Polish parfait, grandpa's clackers, South Jersey sandbag, Alabama barn slammer, turkey neck and dumplings, Jiggly booglies. And possibly my favorite, because of how technical it would have to be if you know what these things are Cleveland Steamer with Reverse Tea Bag. Sounds like a skateboarding trick. Thanks for listening. I'll show myself out.
Damn it, I timed it wrong.